Julie, welcome to the final saltier politics of 2019. It's been an incredible year. A I, crazy year. It really has. You started an army. Uh, yeah. No, just yeah. a casual army. I'm just a casual army. Started a movement. Um, I don't know that I started it, but I, I hope to channel it for a lot of people. You're talking about Lift Our Voices, which is the organization that Gretchen Carlson, Dana Falzone, and I founded um, to ban mandatory NDAs with respect to toxic workplace environments. And I got to tell you, the last time you and I spoke, we had just launched that thing a couple of days ago. And now it's been about uh, 10 days. I think we launched it in LA uh, last Wednesday, a week ago, Wednesday. Um, and to tell you that I, thousands of people have contacted us. I mean, legislators across the country who want to pass laws. Women are pouring into the website to talk about their experiences with NDAs the incredible media attention that we've gotten um, from BuzzFeed, which really appeals to millennials. That was a great interview, by Thank the way. Thank you. Yeah. Um, to uh, the New York Times, to just across the board. And it's just amazing. And it's humbling and it's incredible. And I guess I didn't really realize, or maybe I should have, but I didn't, the hunger that people have to talk about these issues. I mean, a third of American workers are bound by NDAs. Again, I want to stress it's not just a female issue. It's, you know, men and women are bound by them. And there had really been no organization to talk about it. And so now they have. And, and you really are kind of seeing who's where. It's, it's a really nonpartisan issue. Um, you've got people on both sides of the aisle. Joe Walsh, who's running for president in the Democrat, Republican primary against Donald Trump, <laughs> Um, came out in support of our movement, which is just amazing. Um, he and I agree on probably very little aside from uh, our disdain for, for the current occupant of the White House. But somebody like that came out for it. And then on the other hand, you have somebody like uh, the governor of New Jersey, who's a self-styled progressive, who continues to enforce NDAs on his campaign workers. So it's, it's, it's not a Democratic or Republican issue. It's just a completely across-the-board amazing opportunity um, for people to come together and, and talk about it. And I'm so happy that it's taken off. And again, anybody who wants to join, text LIFT to 797979. Go visit the website, liftourvoices.com. Find us on Facebook. It was which, super easy to text in. That's what I did. Super easy. Just text yeah. 797979. Text LIFT, L-I-F-T. And that's it. And you'll be signed up for um, updates and to tell you that, again, it is an army. It's an army of people who really just are tired of being silenced and they want to speak and they want to talk about their experiences and they want to talk about ways to prevent other people from preying on future workers, which they can't do right now because they're bound by NDAs. So anyway, it's been amazing and I'm so gratified and this has been an incredible December and 2020 is going to be an even more amazing year on this front. So anybody listening, I strongly urge you to join us. So Julie, I think we should, and something pretty big happened this week. Impeachment. I Question. Did. Is Pelosi smart to see whether or not Mitch McConnell can actually pursue a fair trial by holding these articles? Well, Mitch McConnell's not going to pursue a fair trial. A trial, what's interesting is People keep talking about the fact that, well, it's a trial. Um, the Democrats didn't let any of the Republican witnesses testify in the House. People don't understand the House process is akin to a grand jury. He just got indicted effectively. That's what an impeachment in the House is. It's, it's, it's an indictment by the grand jury. And when you are before a grand jury, 
the prosecution has all the cards. You're not allowed to have your defense attorney in there. You're not allowed to have your own witnesses testify if you're part of the defense. In fact, the White House refused to testify uh, in front of the impeachment committee, which is more than a grand jury would allow them to do. And a trial is where the defense and the prosecution present their cases. And if that's the case, both sides should be able to present their cases and both sides should be allowed to call their witnesses and then let the senators vote the way we all know they're going to vote. I mean, he's not going to get removed by the Senate. And they're, what, what, what just drives me crazy is I, I, you know, I've worked for a lot of members um, in the Senate and in the House. And so in talking to some of them and talking to some, some of their staff, I can't tell you the number of people who have said to me, you know, so-and-so congressman or so-and-so senator who's a Republican privately came up to me and said, uh, I know Donald Trump's a dope and I know he did the wrong thing and I know that he should be impeached, but I can't do it because I'm scared of getting a primary and I'm scared of losing my seat. Um, talk about a snowflake. I mean, yeah, talk about a snowflake, but more importantly, I mean, there's certain, th- I get it. I mean, we all have to take votes that are, you know, not we all, I'm not an elected official, but I, I get the game. It's not like people are particularly principled um, a lot of times on both sides of the aisle, but this is something much more insidious. This has to do with the president of the United States abusing his office to effectively bribe a foreign government into interfering in our election. That's, that's what it was. And it's not, don't, I mean, people who, who don't agree with me, don't spin it. That's what it was. You don't want to have Donald Trump removed because he's appointing your judges or he's uh, pro-life or he's, you know, doing whatever the evangelicals want legislatively. Great. But just acknowledge that you've got other priorities in life and don't sit there and pretend that he didn't do anything wrong because it's absurd. And the problem is that what you're doing is you're setting up a pattern where the next guy is going to do that. And of course, if the next guy is a Democrat or woman, you're going to turn around and say, oh, no, no, this is completely unconscionable. And it's going to become a partisan thing as opposed to saying, my God, we have to stand up for the values that this country was founded on, which means that Nobody should interfere in our elections. The president should not be urging foreign governments to interfere in our elections. And that's exactly what this president did. And then on the way out, obstructed justice, uh, obstructed Congress, too, by refusing to turn over documents, by refusing to, to be present, I mean, prevent his staff from testifying. And just on every level, it's, it's obscene. And I can't believe this is where we are right now. It's crazy. What do, what do you say to the talking point that are trying to point Pelosi saying that Pelosi is doing this to push the narrative that McConnell is the, quote, grim reaper, and he runs the Senate in an unfair fashion. Oh, please. I mean, be best, right? Right. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, again, when you, ha- when you can't defend the facts, you defend... You, 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 you do, right. You, 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 you debate on process. Right. And it's, okay, great. You want to talk process? You want to talk about Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell is the Grim Reaper on a whole host of issues, not just this. Mitch McConnell also is the least popular senator in his home state of any senator. Um, and, uh, you know, the, his, own, his own constituents can't stand him. Coming up right behind him and nipping at his heels, by the way, Lindsey Graham. Oh, Lindsey, yeah. Lindsey Graham, of course. Linz. Linz. Um, so uh, Lindsey Graham was all but said he was dead man walking in the Republican primary until he started kissing um, Donald Trump's butt, and suddenly now his political career and his mind has been resurrected. So we all know he's not there on principle. Um, But uh, Mitch McConnell is the master of process. Mitch McConnell will 
use whatever tools at his disposal, whatever arcane Senate procedure at his disposal, to make this trial as favorable as possible to, to Donald Trump. Um, of course, because Mitch McConnell needs Donald Trump for his own reelection in Kentucky next year, because God forbid Donald Trump says something negative about Mitch McConnell and a, and a section of Republicans peels away from Mitch McConnell, who's already going to be in a tough race. Mitch McConnell's wife also worked for this administration. Mitch McConnell is like the least impartial juror ever. If Mitch McConnell ever showed up to a trial and they said, hey, Mitch McConnell, do you know this defendant? And Mitch McConnell would say, yeah, I know him. And then they said, okay, well, yeah, your, 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 your wife also works for the defendant. Mitch McConnell would be drummed off that jury in 30 seconds. I get that senators all know the White House, they all know the president. That's obviously part of the course. But I mean, Mitch McConnell, literally, his financial well-being is determined in large part by his wife's taxpayer-funded salary. She's very wealthy on her own, but the point is uh, he's deriving some money from Donald Trump um, into his household. So Mitch McConnell, you know, whatever. Let me roll my eyes. All right, so... I wanted to do a little fun game here. Stephen Miller was on Trish Reagan and said some interesting quotes. I would like to get your reaction. Go. All right. Trish asked him, they say you're a white nationalist, are you? He says, not only am I not anything of the sort, but I find the accusation to be profoundly offensive and completely outrageous. And it's an attempt on the part of the Democratic Party to attack and demonize a Jewish staffer. And make no mistake... There's a deep vein of anti-Semitism that's running through today's Democratic Party. Julie, go. Stephen Miller, uh, you are, in fact, a white supremacist, which is hilarious because white supremacists don't want any part of you uh, because you're Jewish, and I say that as, as a fellow Jew. So, Stephen Miller, they're, they're using you the same way the evangelicals obviously are using your boss and you also um, to achieve their own gains and their own means. But, Stephen Miller, I don't think you'd be allowed into their house for dinner after you've done serving your purpose for them. Um, secondly, anti-Semitism. What does that have to do with anti-Semitism? He said, in the, in the answer to, are you a white nationalist? He then just tried to switch it. There's a deep vein of anti-Semitism that's running through today's Democratic Party. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> there's a deep vein of anti-Semitism by people who, apparently the president and Stephen Miller both agree uh, there were good people on both sides of the Charlottesville march. Guess who? I mean, Jews will not replace us. Those are the people that Stephen Miller decided to embrace. And, you know, those, there's a little strain of anti-Semitism in the phrase Jews will not replace us. But that's okay. Stephen Miller is the kind of guy. You know how many times I've seen the St Stephen Millers of the world come and go? Stephen Miller is that young guy who shows up, does whatever is expected of him to um, fulfill his ambition, and then Stephen Miller is gonna be kicked to the curb by the very same people who are using him now. So yeah, you know, we'll see Stephen Miller. Uh, once Donald Trump is gone, gone, Stephen Miller, sadly his policies will not be gone because he's so toxic and has made this country so toxic. But Stephen Miller himself, God bless. I look forward to seeing what is happening. Well, there's one more um, that I find, think you'll find this one interesting. Um, on why Democrats are attacking him and Trump. The truth is, and this is Stephen Miller, the truth is they're after this president because he is a man standing between them and the American people they're determined to target. He is the shield protecting everyday Americans, including millions of Americans of faith that the Democratic Party is determined to bulldoze because they want to create their pro-abortion, secular, irreligious, open borders, open border nation of socialism and communism. That's what this is about. It has nothing to do with me. 
You know what's interesting about Stephen Miller, who's Jewish, saying this? The evangelicals who Donald Trump has really uplifted, um, the prominent ones, are the ones who have said publicly Jews are going to go to hell um, because they don't accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and has, have said things that under any normal circumstances would be described as really anti-Semitic. Um, however, those are the evangelicals I guess Stephen Miller is defending. So go ahead and defend them. That's fine. But just don't play the anti-Semitism card when you're doing it. I mean, uh, we've seen the Stephen Miller types before throughout history. History does not judge them kindly because when it came down to it, they did not stand up and they did not stand up in defense of their own people. And, and that's okay. That's, that's Stephen, Miller, Stephen Miller's prerogative. But don't play the anti-Semitism card in defending your own toxic behavior that enables anti-Semites to have a prominent role at the table with you. That was really well put. Well, thank you so much. Um, all right. So now let's go to the debate. What is your hot take? So my hot take is, um, I thought it was a pretty substantive debate. You know, um, it was a very good debate. Judy Woodruff was a great moderator as uh, Tim Alberta. I mean, all the, pe all the people there I thought did a very good job. I thought that um, it was a really informative debate. I think that uh, I understand that people have to go at each other, but I found this whole discussion between Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren a little exhausting about who's richer, who's Oh poor. my God, I wanted to talk to you about this. Yeah, and here's the thing. Just stop it. Just, right. Just stop it. Because I wanted to swat him down when he's like, I'm the only non-millionaire on the... First of all, you're younger than everybody by 30 years. Like, Oh, it's interesting. I wanted to swat her down. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, wanted really, to I wanted to swat them both down for, for, for getting into like personal nonsense because, right. because here's the deal with Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg um, graduated from Harvard, which is fantastic that he got in there, and, 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 and Pete Buttigieg could have stayed at McKinsey and made billions of dollars, um, but instead Pete Buttigieg decided to go into public service, first into the military, then into um, public service, and that's great. Elizabeth Warren graduated, I believe, well, she didn't go to Harvard Law School, but she was an incredible, uh, apparently very prominent corporate lawyer, could have stayed in um, corporate America and made a trillion dollars more than she did when she was a corporate lawyer, even if she had continued to do that. And she instead chose to go into public service and, and not do that. I don't necessarily care how much money these people made in their lives. Nope. And I don't, like, it doesn't bother me. What bothers me, or what they could have done, I care about the policies that they're going to enact to make sure that other people have the opportunity to do well and to thrive. And I care very much about the fact that all of them are focused and should be focused about closing the huge level of inequality in this country. What they did, like, I, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting annoyed, and I say this as a progressive Democrat, that we keep somehow looking askance at people who were in a position and who worked their butts off to make a lot of money. Like, nobody handed either of these people a billion dollars. They were both, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg, I think his parents were academic. I think Elizabeth Warren's parents obviously didn't come from money, either of them, tremendous money. And both of them worked really hard, and both of them were in a position to make a lot of money. Great. I think that's fantastic. I mean, think about who in the 20th century probably did more to truly help vulnerable people than Franklin Roosevelt. I find it very hard and a, to, to think of anybody who did more. 
from social security um, to all of his, I mean, to, to the Tennessee Valley Authority, to all the New Deal programs, incredibly benefited people who had previously been vulnerable, um, and Lyndon Johnson with Medicare. But Franklin Roosevelt came from a really wealthy family, and not just from a really wealthy family, but from an oligarch type of wealthy family. His family was basically controlled New York City um, and New York State, and they were kind of, you know, the closest we had to aristocracy in this country at the time. And yet he did a lot to help people. And it just drives me insane that somebody like that today would be really looked at askance. Look at the policies that these people are proposing and judge them on their merits. And they're proposing policies that are different. I mean, one espouses a, a, a different set of core principles and core policies than the other. Judge them on that. Stop judging them on you made money at McKinsey. Oh, really? Well, you made money. It's literally going to the Donald Trump kind of line of just no depth whatsoever. I mean, look, he's got a point about Elizabeth Warren transferring money from lobbyists to her presidential account. Whatever. I mean, and, and uh, whatever. I mean, here's my thing. And this is truly my belief. You are a lobbyist or you're a millionaire. You want to give me money for my campaign? Okay. But then I'm going to judge you not on the fact that you took that check. I'm going to judge you on whether your policies are benefiting your big donors and, your, and the millionaires who give you money. If they are, then I'll judge you for it. And then I'll say, okay, you sold out to your donor base. If they're not, I really don't care who gives you money. Listen, if some altruistic billionaire wants to give Elizabeth Warren you know, the max out, 27 or $2,800, whatever it is, um, uh, for whatever reason he wants to give it to her, she should take the money and she should just continue to espouse the policies that she's espousing that would tax that millionaire at a higher rate than he's being taxed or she's being taxed at right now. I mean, uh, that's the part that drives me crazy. I, I hate the personal stuff. I think it's completely counterproductive and it takes that eye off the prize. The other thing I, I will say about the debate is this. We lift our voices called on presidential candidates to um, to come out uh, and support us on on the use of a ban from on banning mandatory NDAs with respect to toxic work environment, not with respect to proprietary campaign information or proprietary um, other proprietary trade secrets, but specifically with respect to toxic work environment issues. Um, that's just one issue that affects women, right? And it's a very specific issue that affects women. Equal pay obviously affects women. I mean, all sorts of, there are specific issues that relate to women, um, issues of, of, of public health, women's health. Um, I don't feel like we're getting enough of that mm -mm. in this debate. And I don't understand for the life of me, why not? I mean, these are issues that affect everybody, not just women, but the men who are married to the women, the men who have mothers, the men who are all alone in their world, but work with women. Um, it's just, uh, and I don't get it. I don't know why we keep retreading the same issues over and over again and don't expand things to really questions that affect people's lives in a really meaningful way. We're trying to literally change the American workplace with what we're doing with Lift Our Voices, and we're not the only ones. Me Too, Time's Up, other organizations. Why? It's like, sometimes I feel like these moderators have forgotten that the last two to three years have happened. They're still asking questions from 2016. When right. in fact, genuinely, American culture has shifted in a tremendous way since then. Uh, first, Gretchen Carlson's Fox News lawsuit, then um, the Harvey Weinstein stuff, 
than Charlie Rose, than Matt Lauer. I mean, there's so many, Ronan Farrow's work, all the stuff that he's done. There's so many examples of how much cultures have, the culture has shifted, and yet I feel like these moderators are still not focused on that, and I think they owe it to the American public to talk about these issues. And I really think it would be benefit the Democrats, too, to really put these issues on the forefront, especially as a juxtaposition to Donald Trump, who they will be running against. I, um, I just... I, I It makes sense as well. And uh, I know millennials and younger, too, this is a big deal. And, and the fact that you're building something to, like, make the workplace a better place for the younger generations is exactly why these candidates say they're running. And also just the fact that um, this is an issue. I mean, I talked to you about the BuzzFeed interview that, that Gretchen and I did a couple, couple days ago. And it's interesting because we heard a lot from millennials who, who watch BuzzFeed or read BuzzFeed on this issue. It really is something that the younger, your generation, Emily, not, not mine, um, is very much focused on. And the fact that most of the people on that stage yesterday were baby boomers, and I turned to the person I was watching the debate with, and I said to him, um, when, is, when is that generation getting off the stage? Like, right? Like, enough. I'm Generation X, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a baby boomer elected president again next year, either Donald Trump or most likely whoever the next baby boomer uh, Democratic nominee is going to be. And then it's going to skip right over to the millennials. And then my poor generation X will be forgotten as we always are. But uh, the people on that stage, the front runners, I mean, you look at it, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, all people in their seventies. Um, Mayor Pete being the only millennial on that stage, who's a, a front runner, but the three big ones are, are the three I just mentioned. And they're all, quite advanced in the baby boomer era. And what I don't understand is like this notion that, that this is just how we have to accept things. So let's, let's put out plans to tweak the American workplace under existing paradigms, as opposed to saying, no, we want to, we want to disrupt it. We want to seriously seriously look at the culture that the American workplace is pushing forward. And we want to say that we're not going to accept it anymore. I have to say Elizabeth Warren was great. She came out against, I, I keep going back to mandatory NDAs because that's just the example I know best, but it's not by far the only one. No, but you're right. When she wants to disrupt it, she wants to disrupt like medicine and make it better. She wants to disrupt the workplace too. And that's part of the whole, Yeah, it's I mean, consistent. Sure, it's consistent. Like you have Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders pushing for Medicare for all. What that essentially would do is get rid of employer-based insur health insurance, right? Which would tremendously, and nobody talks about this either, but this would tremendously disrupt the American workplace on many levels. First and foremost, employers would no longer have to provide health care to their workers, which is uh, certainly something that employers spend. And as an employer myself who runs a business, I provide health insurance um, and I, I pick up the entire tab. I don't, I don't make people um, who work for me pay a dime into matching their insurance. Um, that would be great. I mean, that would, I would be able to make business decisions in a very different way. It would really disrupt my workplace and the workplace of major corporations. I'm not a major corporation, obviously, but to not have to worry about healthcare. 
it would tremendously disrupt the American workplace in that workers would no longer have to worry about staying in a job they don't want to stay in because they have a good insurance plan, which is really great, right? Like, for example, you work at Fox News. Fox News has a great insurance program. It's amazing. It's amazing, right? But think about the fact that I'm sure there are people, and this is not a knock on Fox. This, this <laughs> applies to Goldman Sachs. This applies to, which also is an amazing insurance program. It applies to a lot of major corporations who truly provide great insurance benefits for their employees. There are people who stay at those jobs because of the fact that they have wonderful benefits and maybe they're sick or maybe they... Well, they have like great IVF. Um, I think it's like 25000 for the first round. That's my point. Like you have IVF coverage, which is, you know, I never had. I went through IVF. I had to pay for that out of pocket. If I worked at a company that provided IVF to me and I was really miserable in that company, I might have stayed there right. and made that decision because I would have wanted somebody to pick up that incredible tab for IVF, which you're right, back when I did it was about fifteen to 20000 Now I'm sure it's even more. You're disrupting the American workplace by talking about healthcare issues, but... Talk about disrupting a culture, not just specifically on issues of, of workplace, uh, on healthcare, but talk about disrupting a culture based on the following. And again, I keep going to mandatory NDAs. Everybody who talks about, and I've heard from lawyers who say, well, you know, you have to understand if there are no NDAs anymore, what's the benefit of, of, of workers are going to get harmed because what's the benefit of people settling? Um, there's not going to be there's going to be no incentive for 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 employers to settle with the people that they are being sued by because otherwise you know if they know that you're going to be able to go out and talk about this freely what's their what's the point they might as well just go to court and just do it um to which I, that's a great point except to which i would say they have to think outside the box they have to think about the paradigm very differently what we're trying to do is disrupt the american workplace in the following way if you, Emily, are harassing or otherwise creating a toxic work environment for your employer, employee, you know, Jane Smith. Uh, if you knew that she would have the freedom to go out and talk about it publicly and to expose you, you might not start behaving that way in the first place. And it would be a much better atmosphere for everybody if employers didn't go out there and talk about it and, and, and act in a way where they can say, hey, you know what, it's fine. I'm going to be really abusive towards my employees, but you know what, I'm going to give them a couple of bucks if they want to leave to shut up, and then I'm going to continue to abuse the ones that stay. That's an awful toxic environment to be working in, and that's what people have to think about. So what we're talking about is really disrupting the American workplace. Um, I don't see candidates talking about that. And Donald Trump, God bless him, was a disruptor. Donald Trump talked during his campaign about disrupting paradigms. It wasn't just tweaking it at the edges. And while I'm not a burn the village down kind of person, typically, um, I understand the hunger for people to say, stop tinkering and start thinking about ways to really change and have a cultural shifts in the workplace, in the home, in every aspect of the American life. And that's really kind of what, what I wanted to see out of these debates. And I have really yet to see anybody phrase it quite that way. I agree. I was, I was bored for the most part. It, I, I don't, I, I was interested, but the person I was watching with is not a political person and was counting down how much longer I had to watch. So I also want, I think when they bring in issues like that, Julie, like the NDA issue and like disrupting, people are interested and will continue to be interested, but it's within the, 
when it's within that same old paradigm, like you said, it's boring and it's stale and it doesn't, it doesn't, I, I don't think it gains traction with a lot of younger people who could be more politically involved if, if they were talking about things like workplace equality. So, yeah. Um, yes. And I think people are truly bored. Like I was cringing, cringing watching that exchange between Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren. And I like them both. And I'm a Democrat and I'm politically active. And so I would be the target audience here. And by the way, I'm an undecided Democratic primary voter, so I haven't decided yet who I'm voting for. So I'm exactly the kind of person they want to appeal to. And, and if you're cringing, that's a problem. And, if I'm, and I'm cringing because I'm thinking, what are, you, like, what are you talking about? Can we talk about things I care about? I really couldn't care less about wine caves um, or who made what money or who takes more money from millionaires and who does what. I just don't care. How is this affecting my life? It's really not. And I also resent um, this implication that people who work hard and come from nothing and build up their businesses or build up their um, careers and make a lot of money somehow should be looked at askance. And that's kind of the implication a lot from what I'm hearing in these debates. And again, you want a more equitable tax policy? Great, I'm all for it. But stop disparaging people who make a lot of money because they've worked really hard to make a lot of money. It's absurd. It's not right. And I understand why sometimes Republicans um, get a lot of sympathy when they talk about that. Because you've got to be, look, uh, there are progressives all over the country who make a lot of money. You know, I worked for a long time ago for John Corzine, um, who was a senator uh, from New Jersey. I worked for him on the Hill, who was an incredibly progressive senator and and then became a progressive governor. Um, He came from nothing and he ended up being the CEO of Goldman Sachs. I mean, great I'm super happy for him that he was able to do that. Don't disparage people like that, especially when they then go into public service and proceed to do everything they can to make sure that other people have the same opportunities that they do right. and, um, or that they did. And that's what I, I don't like the tone I'm seeing in these Republic, Democratic debates um, about that. So that's my two cents. Well, well we're on the saltiness. Uh, what are you salty about this week? I'm salty about Matt Bevin. So Matt Bevin is the former governor of uh, the great state of Kentucky who just lost uh, to a Democrat by a very, very, very um, minuscule margin. On his way out the door, Matt Bevin of Kentucky... Um, you pardoned, had a pretty great tweet yeah, about this. Yeah, pardoned um, a child rapist because the victim, who was nine years old... Her hymen was intact, and um, therefore, clearly, clearly, this child could not have been sexually assaulted because her hymen was intact. I don't understand if these people are just so cynical like Matt Bevan that they just say it just to say it to excuse their behavior or whether they truly believe what they're saying. And if they truly believe what they're saying or if the people who they're saying it to are buying into their BS, it's because... They have so defunded (laughs) sex ed and science programs in their schools that they no longer have an audience that is receptive to a scientific debate on this issue. Uh, It's just amazing to me. Does, Does Matt Bevan really think that sexual intercourse is the only way to sexually assault somebody? I mean... uh, what? Are you kidding me? 
there's there's really nothing there's not one positive thing to say about this this decision it's horrific and i'm dumbfounded this girl was nine years old i mean literally nine years old think about this nine-year-old girl right this nine-year-old girl gets sexually assaulted um by a uh adult the adult is convicted by a jury so clearly a jury believed this little girl god knows what she had to do to go through convicting this guy the testimony she had to give the interviews she had to give to to the police what she had to say to her parents i mean just just the trauma of that alone and then to have the governor of your state call you a liar a liar and to say she's a liar because her hymen wasn't broken you think this nine-year-old even knows what a hymen is no no my son is seven years old he's not that far off from a nine-year-old he has no idea what the governor would be talking about if somebody said to use the word hymen so now you're nine years old, or maybe she's a little older now, and the governor of the state is effectively saying you lied because a part of your body you probably don't even realize exists was not broken. That's so gross. It I mean, that's just... so gross. And he's, by the way, self-described evangelical, self-described evangelical Christian. I'm not an evangelical Christian. I'm not even particularly religious. Why is it always these people who are these self-proclaimed Bible thumpers who are the worst people on earth when it comes to morality? Because they're going medieval. Like, I mean, do you just think like, do you just think that, oh, okay, I'm going to just, you know, say that like I found Jesus tomorrow. So I'm going to be like, all my sins will be forgiven. So let me sin and be a complete horrible human being until tomorrow when I'll, you know, I'm going to be, have all my sins. Like, where are the, where is the moral code does this guy go to church? What does he learn when he goes to church? What does he think about? You're attacking a nine-year-old and calling her a liar. I mean, uh, what? It's so cynical. It's so gross. It's beyond making me salty. It just makes me so angry. Yep. I remember, so I was raised Roman Catholic and the church in, in my neighborhood, so we'd go to church every week and there was this woman there who would always come in with these like beautiful St. John suits. Mm-hmm. But then on the next day, uh, she would return them because it was all about appearance. And then so the salesperson at the like Saks or Neiman's would not get the uh, commission. And, and she did this almost every week. And it was just about looking good and peacocking for church. And, and it's it's just the whole idea of the complete message of what the Bible says and all that which is completely being missed i mean it's just it's just we could have a whole separate right 50 hour podcast on how people misinterpret the words of the bible to fit their own narrative and whatever they want um and again while i myself am not particularly particularly religious luckily for me i had a very good classical um education so i am very well versed in in the bible both the new and the old testament and uh, it's just very interesting to me in talking to some of these people who are um, self-proclaimed evangelicals. And this is not by no means are these all evangelicals. There are plenty of people who are evangelicals who really do, uh, are good moral people. But so many of these people who excuse like Donald Trump's behavior and Matt Bevan's behavior. You can't pick and choose. You can't pick if and you're choose. Gonna be like that, you can't pick and if choose. If you're going to be dogmatic, and that's what religion is, it's a dogma. If you're going to be dogmatic then you got to be consistent. You can't pick and choose which teachings of Jesus Christ 
or the Old Testament, the Tanakh, or anything else, you want to enforce and endorse. And these people just don't do it. They're just off. I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing for you to say, you know what? I'm not particularly religious, and I'm going to do what I'm going to, you know, I don't have a code to live by, and, and that's fine. But you know what I found? I found that the most upstanding people in their personal lives are people who are atheists. And I'm not kidding. Like, and you see that consistently. You also see, I think, that crimes are committed of all the demographics. Um, the least criminal is are atheists, but because they answer to themselves and to right. nobody else, and they have to look to themselves and to nobody else for forgiveness, and therefore they act in a way that doesn't require anybody to. Uh, they don't. They don't get get out of jail free cards from others. They get it from themselves and most of them understand that the buck stops with them. But Matt Bevan, I'm sure goes to church every Sunday and I'm sure goes to church and, you know, gives money to the church. And, and I don't know, I have no idea about his habits. It's just sad. It is really just not right. And it's awful and he's disgusting. And so, uh, that is what's making me salty this week. Ah, she might make me more salty than anything else this year. So happy new year. This is literally right. but, but 2019 superlative superlative. What's making me saltiest, um, <laughs> in all of 2019, ironically enough, uh, it's that it's this disgusting human being. I'm so glad he's out of public office and I hope he's run out of town on a rail. If he ever tries to run for anything again, a woman. All right. Um, so I'm unfortunately salty at JK Rowling. Uh, she recently gave her support to Maya Forstater. I think I'm saying that right a think tank researcher who lost her job as a tax expert after her opinions on sex were ruled, quote, absolutist, tweeting that transgender women cannot change their biological sex. Rowling defended Forstater, tweeting, dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who'll have you, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. Uh, The former actress who played Matilda gave a good tweet in response to this which i agree with she said quote what exactly is to be gained by using your platform to be cruel and exclusionary to one of the world's most vulnerable populations trans people and then another one of my favorite people on twitter uh charlotte Clymer. she's a human rights campaign activist she listed a swath of the top medical organizations across the globe that affirm trans people and that trans and non-binary people are valid and should be affirmed in our authentic identities. If you truly respect science, you respect trans people. Um, I, well, so there's two issues here, right? Let's unpack them. One is uh, whether somebody should lose their jobs for stating their beliefs and, and speaking freely. Uh, was, was her job in dealing with gender and sexuality? She was, was a tax expert. Okay, so, you know, she has the right freedom to speak whatever she wants about however she wants and I don't know that she should have lost her job because of that what 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 I'm hearing that JK Rowling is saying is not that she's defending her from losing her job because she said something controversial it seems to me that she's actually defending her views right that's that's the problem problem. that's the problem right see I don't know that this woman necessarily should have lost her If if her job was to actually deal with gender and sexuality, then yeah, clearly she's not qualified to do her job based on all the stuff that you just mentioned about scientists and others affirming transgender, um, transgenderism. But um, if you lose your job, uh, if, if not lose your job, if, if J.K. Rowling is actually defending the, the 
belief that this woman espouses, then I got a, I got a real problem with her. That's crazy. Right. Right. And that, and that, cause she's been such a defender of like gay people of so many other things. Totally and, character. Right. And so she hasn't clarified, but you know, Jamila Jamil unfollowed her on Twitter after this. And I, it just really, it also just shows again to kind of your point about the education that's out there, um, in the world. And, and people need to be rightly educated about transgender issues, about sex ed, of just different things like that. Because, I mean, education is really key to clearing up a lot of this, these ignorant statements and actions. <laughs> yeah. You know what's interesting? Um, I'm old enough to remember, I don't know if I ever told you this. So when I was in college, I had this friend um, named Jason, whose last name I will not repeat because uh, I don't want to embarrass him but I had this friend named Jason and Jason and I had this really big debate this is like 1992 1993 the latest um, talking about uh, gay marriage marriage equality which was completely unprecedented and heard of at the time and essentially uh, you know everybody now who spouses marriage equality about 90% of them opposed it back then because they just, that was the way society was. And he and I talked about it and I said, what, what do you care to gay people, you know, gay men marry each other, women marry each other? No, no, it's not right. You know, women are, whatever. He just, he was opposed to the notion. Um, and I remember uh, saying, what do you care? Like, what do you care? And it was just a very novel thing for me to believe back then. And ironically, my father of all people who is, you know, uh, came from the Soviet Union, which was not known for its progressive policies, um, was actually uh, totally on board with me. <laughs> we're like back in the early 90s, late 80s, we're like, who cares if two gay people marry each other? And everybody kind of was like, what? That's really controversial. I can't believe we're saying that. Um, anyway, the point is that Jason now is married to his husband. Um, and, <laughs> and so presumably now believes that marriage equality is uh, a good thing. I feel like the transgender debate right now is the same, where you have people who are otherwise progressive people and civil rights issues. Like Jason would never have said that a black man and a white woman can't marry each other, but 20, 30 years before that discussion, that was the controversial subject. Um, Loving versus Virginia. Remember, the Supreme Court only in the 60s affirmed the right of interracial marriage. Um, so I feel like transgenderism is, is the next battle here, right? Gay marriage, except unless you're completely, you know, in the boondocks, um, mentally, not physically, has been accepted as a, as a, it's fine. Like, nobody's looking askance at two women walking down the street holding hands anymore. Maybe they are in some places, but certainly not as in society at large. It's not that controversial anymore. Um, it's not that, I remember Dynasty, um, a, a TV show that I was obsessed with in the 80s, had, I think, the first gay kiss um, between a man and a woman, oh, sorry, between two men, excuse me, and that was, like, really controversial that, oh, my God, Steve and this character from Dynasty had a kiss with some, you know, guy, and um, that was obviously a big deal in the 80s. Now, obviously, people make out on TV, same gender people all the time. Nobody really looks at it twice, but when people like J.K. Rowling espouse this kind of behavior, it seems to me very much, and tell me if you agree with me, very much, like, the progressives who were otherwise great on in interracial marriage 30 years ago espousing problems with gay marriage um, and probably progressives who wanted to enfranchise um, and give men 
and women who were African-American the vote back in the 60s said, okay, that's one thing to give them full civil rights, but don't have them marry each other. That's not right. I mean, it's like you, you see these things kind of move on. And sh so anyway, but she should know that. She's a smart, educated, brilliant, insightful, empathetic woman. And I find it very hard to reconcile that with the statement that she made on Twitter. I'm I'm just disappointed I'm because disappointed. I really like her so much. So yeah, I do too, and I really like um, you know you're more the Harry Potter generation than I am in the sense that I read the books because everybody was reading them. But I was in college when they came out. You were just I think the perfect age to have read them um, as a kid, which I never got to do. But so I'm not as kind of enamored of her world as I think people your age are. But uh, she, what I am enamored of and have always been is her ability and fearlessness and taking on bigots and others on Twitter and, and publicly who want to deny other people their rights. Uh, I wonder if she doesn't know any transgender people. That, you know... There's no excuse for that right. either, by the way. But, but I feel like she would have had informed conversations that and would not have sent this like what what's out. the thing about sex like to deny what to she deny? says live your best life in peace and security but force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real well that's the thing but force women out of their jobs for stating their view question mark like there i would have i would have been okay with that but um force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real sex is fluid in every way. And I have known a few transgender people in my life. I knew a woman named Babs um, Sipperstein, who now sadly passed away. Um, and she was the first transgender woman that I knew, or person that I knew. And I, I met her probably about 20 years ago. So imagine how completely novel it was to have um, a, a transgender woman then. Um, and Babs Sipperstein was just, uh, she was a DNC state committee woman. Um, she was, um, but this landmark kind of trailblazer on, on, on this issue. And if you talk to Bab Sipperstein, Bab Sipperstein, um, I forgot what, uh, her name was before she became Babs, but, um, and, and she, she transitioned, but she was married. She had children and she gave all that up because she understood that she, had to, to that her sex um, was really not the sex that that was put down on her birth certificate <laughs> when she was born. Um, the sex that was put down on her birth certificate, the gender was was male, and and Babs was very clear that uh, her life was perfect. I was going to say nobody's life was perfect, but her life was real easy when 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 she was you know when she identified as a male. Or, right. or, um, but that's not who she was. So. Yeah, no, sex is not real. Sex is what you identified as. And I say that as a straight woman who was born a woman. Um, it's real easy for us. And for people like J.K. Rowling, it's real easy for us to uh, go around saying, oh, yeah, well, I mean, sex is real, sex is real, because we were born the gender that we, we are. Not everybody is like that. They're just not. And if she knows any gay people, I don't see how she can make that statement. Of course she knows gay people. She's been defending gay people forever. But I mean, you know, right. replace that with, you know, but to say that sexual attraction is, is, is not real. Well, like you're, I'm, and I'm not equating transgender people with people who are gay or straight because one has to do with sexual attraction. The other has to do with gender identification. 
Um, but that's a really, op- I just, I feel like a straight woman or a straight man would say that. I can't imagine that a, a gay person would make that statement. I just can't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just can't, you know, I, I would find that very hard to believe that somebody who's gay would make that statement, and she's obviously not, but she obviously knows enough gay people where she should have probably consulted with them if she couldn't find a transgender person to do that with, although I'm 100% sure she has resources to speak with as many transgender people as she wants to. Agreed. Yes. Um, all right, so do you have any fun New Year's or Christmas plans or Hanukkah plans? So um, I am going to the Bahamas for a few days, Pray for me. I'm going to the Atlantis. Um, oh, you're going to deal with a lot of people. I'm going to deal with a lot of children who I believe are all at the Atlantis. Yes. Um, <laughs> along with my own, I will be dealing with him too. So um, I've never been, but when I've told people that's where I'm going, everybody's sort of telling me, um, you know, you could do, you know, there's water slides, there's all because, this. Because, Julie, when I think of a good time for you, I think of a water slide. I mean... I just want to, <laughs> when I think Julie in a good time, like a water slide. Definitely. Yeah, a water slide. We had a good time, by the way. We um, got together with a few other people on Tuesday for holiday drinks, which devolved into like high holiday, like revelry. And it was a great uh, time. It was a great time. All I know is that I was late. And, oh. and because I was late, and you and the two other people who were there had all apparently placed bets on yes. how late I would be. It's a, it's a Julie late. So Julie said she'd be a little bit late. She'd be there at 6 30. And so we get there and then we're like, okay, I think a Julie late is 6.40. And then the other people are like 6.45. And you were there at 6.38. Yes. I won, to be fair. But somehow I was never in on this bet because, you know, if I were, I would have shown up on the dot at 6.30. And by the way, the reason I was late. It was a big deal. It It was was, (laughs) like, I actually had a legit reason. The reason I was late is I was driving around the block 15 times because if you where I parked my car is a subterranean garage and I would lose the um, phone signal and I was actually doing an interview with the New York Times about Lift Our Voices. So I, I apologize for that taking up eight minutes of your time. No, but, I, but I get there and suddenly, first of all, I couldn't get a drink for about an hour because this restaurant was so annoying and wouldn't serve us for I don't know how long. But secondly, when they did serve us, in addition to my usual Tito's and soda, which is a great drink and I love it and I can have a few of those and not feel the pain, you uh, insisted because I was late and the other two people lost the bet that the three of us, you uh, coincidentally excluded yourself from this debacle. Because I won. Because you won, although I was never part of this bet. Really should have been the two of them who were big losers and, and drank. You insisted that we all do a shot of tequila. So tequila and vodka don't mix that well. And then we end up back at my house, and of course I have this great <laughs> bottle of wine that I insist everybody open. Anyway, a good time was had by all, but um, long story short, nobody should mix that kind of alcohol ever in their life. <laughs> there was merriment. And that is what the holidays is about. Oh, yes. That's for sure. Um, All right. So I'm excited for 2020 and to see how big your army gets. Me too. And to see what what it holds. You know what I'm excited about? Because I know you're going to Florida over this vacation. Yes. Um, How much you're going to come back and complain about the state of Florida? Oh, I definitely know I am. I know. This is the first year in a couple of years that I'm actually not going to Florida. You know, my son is obsessed with Florida, which is hilarious. Um, and so when I told him we're actually not going to go to Boca, <laughs> which, is really, which is where he would love to be retired to at the age of seven, um, and that we're going to the Bahamas, he's all ticked off. He's like, I want to go to Boca Raton. And I was we'll like, see whose list has a longer list of what annoyed me this oh, 
this trip. Well, I'm facing water slides and screaming children. So, um, and well, that's just the plane ride down to Florida. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Where are you flying into? Tampa? Uh, Orlando. Oh, it's the nice Disney one. It's nice to be with all the young children on the plane who are excited for Disney screaming. I would I wouldn't fly into Orlando if I lived a mile from the airport in Orlando. I would fly into Tampa and just take the yeah hour drive. So it's nice. And then on the way back from Florida, it's, I get with all the burnt New Englanders who've been like sunburnt from their time in Florida, and then they're still screaming babies. So it's you know it builds character and it's made me the person I am today. So it's okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> well, we'll see because um, I will be on the um, Atlanta shuttle or whatever plane ride to the Bahamas. And uh, when I get there, I, there will be screaming children and water slides. At least you don't have to deal with water slides. No. Water slides. And like the big attraction is there's a, and by the way, it looks very lovely and I'm very fortunate to be able to go there. So I'm not complaining at all that there are people who obviously can't um, have any time off on, on, over Christmas. <laughs> Or go nice places like the Bahamas. I'm just saying that um, I'm going to be there um, with a bunch of children screaming, who are, uh, which include my own. And unlike you, who can go to your room after you get off the airport and shut off the screaming. <laughs> you, can, you cannot. I cannot. Oh, wait. I do have a funny story for you. Okay, what? So I used to teach tennis in Florida. And after um, the summer was over, I was like, a fun trip would be my counselors and I to go to Blizzard Beach, uh, which is a water park in Florida. Okay. And uh, just uh, a warning for the water slide. I was just wearing a two-piece. And right down the water slide, <laughs> pants just flew right off. Your pants did? Yeah. The bottoms right as I went into the slide because there was the right friction. And I was like in the water and they just went flying. What did you do? I stayed underwater and was like frantically searching for where Did you locate popped. them? I located them. Thank God. Who got them for you? I did. I like was just because I, I knew they were off. I'm like, oh my god! And I was frantically looking above the water. So you got for them. out of the water and oh, they were in the pool with yeah, you. They were in the pool. They were in oh. like you fell from the slide oh. right in. Oh, I yeah. thought they were stuck in the water slide. In which case, that would have been that would have been awful. I would have. I would still be in the water at Blizzard Beach just waiting. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so Julie, this is a warning. Be careful. I'm getting a one piece. Yeah, this, this there does you not go. Have to you could just do that too. Yes, I'm getting a one piece. What I'm not getting is uh, a, a <laughs> pair of full body spanks, which apparently from the previews that I've seen of Bombshell is what my character is trying to get Think into. How fast you'd go down the water slide. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You'd be Justin like a spanks. torpedo. Justin spanks. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big water slide slash roller coaster slash whatever person. Me neither. Yeah. Well, I am about to become one. Maybe I'll just go swim with the dolphins or something. Anyway, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Now that Donald Trump says that we can say that again. Um, happy holidays, um, which uh, applies Happy to Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy whatever other holiday you are celebrating. And we will see everybody next year.